This is the Tactical Nutrition and Performance Podcast. I'm Susan Lopez, and joining us today is Hunter Schur. Hunter is a going on 10 years now civilian strength coach from the Special Forces community. And today he's going to take some time to maybe tell us some jokes, but definitely teach us all a little bit about how to get stronger. This is going to be a good way to spend the next hour. So let's get to know this guy. All right, Hunter. So we're finally getting a chance to sit down and chat. And I'm super excited to have you here today. But for those people who are listening that maybe don't know who you are quite yet, why don't you give us just a short introduction to who you are, what you do, and and why you're here. Cool. Um, thank you for very much, first and foremost, for having me on. It's, it's always good to catch up and talk. Um, but yeah, so like Susan said, my name is Hunter Schur. I'm a strength and conditioning specialist up at First Special Forces Group. That is kind of my day job. Um, and I'll get into that here in a second. But as far as working with Special Forces, so Special Forces of the Green Berets, a lot of times people, they hear Special Forces and they kind of lock in a lot of the other special operations unit, whether that's the SEALs, whether that's Ranger, you know, so on and so forth. But Special Forces is specifically the Green Berets. Um, so we're just south of Seattle. We're up at Fort Lewis, Washington. Um, I've been out here for, it'll be 10 years in April, which is amazing and crazy to think about at the same time. Um, very fortunate. In my opinion, I've got the best job in the country. Obviously, I'm going to be a little biased towards my guys in the community and everything else, but it's my, there's a reason why I've been here for 10 years. Um, prior to that, I was a collegiate strength and conditioning coach. I was at the University of Wyoming for almost five years, and then at the University of Virginia prior to that, which is where I did my master's. Uh, both my master's and, and undergrad are in exercise phys. Um, I did track in college. And that's kind of what led me into, um, I guess, kind of falling in love with strength and conditioning. I went to a small school, so I didn't really know that like a strength and conditioning coach was a thing. So this was, I mean, this was a number of years ago before there was YouTube, before, I mean, not to date myself, but before really coaching was a big thing. And so I didn't even know there's like strength and conditioning coaches were a job and then was very fortunate. Um, to get into the University of Virginia and ended up becoming a grad assistant there and coaching and absolutely just falling in love with it. And that's kind of just worked my path to where I'm at now. So one of, one of the best things about our job is it's we have a little more of a balanced lifestyle. And because I am a contractor in regards to how my position and everything is set up with the military. So I worked for a company was, you know, contacted and the military pays them and then they pay me. And so because of that, you've got a little different lifestyle than you do compared to a lot of college athletics. I mean, we're basically slotted for 40-hour work weeks in regards to how our contract is, is set up compared to, you know, when I was at the University of Wyoming, you'd be in at, you know, 05 in the morning with football. And then I had men's basketball as far as one of my, ba- you know, that was kind of my baby when I was there. And we'd finish up with team dinners or study hall at 9, 9.30 at night. And you get up and you do that again, but then you got games on Saturday and travel. And so you're working 60 to 80 hour work weeks. Um, it's so, yeah, so dietitians, a lot of dietitians who work in those collegiate and those pro settings. Uh, I have friends in both, you know, they're working like 18 hour days. They're traveling. It's crazy. And being in the tactical space as a contractor is a completely different world on both sides. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately, I've known some people that ha- have lost their jobs in the contracting world because contracts got dropped, but in, at no fault to their own. They were great coaches. And fortunately, they've landed on their feet. But, you know, at the same time, you, you know, you look at the college setting and people are in the collegiate setting. I think average jobs like two and a half years. NFL is like a year and a half. I mean, you look at, you know, Tennessee just fired their whole football staff. So the whole strength and conditioning staff is going to go with that. And a lot of times, whether they have a dietitian or they have their specialist that they like on their staff, they get let go with them at no fault of their own. And so there's always kind of pros and cons to whatever community or, you know, side of the house you're in. Um, but as far as, I guess, the purpose and not to go off on a complete tangent, it's I love where I'm at, you know, and like you said, it's it's allowed some other hobbies to take place. And I definitely try to, we're fortunate here in Washington and that you're, 
you can be on the water within the hour and you can be in the mountains within the hour. And if I can get up into the mountains and, and snowboard a little bit, I am definitely going to do so this time of year. Yeah. And I definitely, I, I bring it up intentionally because there's a lot of people who are interested in what we do in the tactical space, dietitians and strength coaches. Yep. Um, and not to give out too much information, but I mean, I feel like it's about to explode here over the next few years. Um, so I think it's yeah. important for, for the people listening to kind of know the differences. So I kind of bring that up intentionally. Yeah, every time you post it, I show it to my husband. I'm like, look where Hunter is right now, <laughs> where he is. Yeah I, yeah, I was texting with him the other day between, between runs, like literally in the lift lines. <laughs> <laughs> on Monday, like shooting him back and forth. And then 10 minutes later, he's like, dude, he, he probably stopped texting me. And then 15, 20 minutes later, hit him up. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it's it's taking advantage of it. So you love the snowboarding. Now you were also, did you mention that you were also like a competitive competitive lifter? Um, oh well? yeah, I was. Um, it was something I didn't get into until I got out here. And it started as just wanting to learn as a coach and had come in it was you know my first month here as far as working with the green berets and one of the guys started to warm up and he started to snatch and you can tell the difference between somebody maybe from the athletic setting who's used a snatch before somebody who's never done one before and is learning it and then you can tell when somebody starts moving with the bar that they know what they're doing and it was fun to watch and he and I just started chatting a little bit and his coach who later became my coach John Thrush who's a senior international level coach, who's very well known within the weightlifting community as well as the strength and conditioning community is out here. And, and I just didn't put the two and two together. And so I had gone to learn from John and had gone to a meet and he and I just started talking and he basically convinced me, he's like, there's going to be no better way for you to understand kind of why we do what we do and all the, you know, little ins and outs, unless you, you start, you know, you know, playing with the movement, the sport a little bit. And and fell in love with it. Um, it is a very technical sport. I think the easiest way to describe it to people, it's like a 300 pound golf swing in which the weight is a factor. And it is very, you know, it's, it's very finite in regards to some of the movement and it's, it's fun. It's very addictive in a good and a bad way. Um, but it's, it was, it was really something that I enjoyed doing, but I mean, I didn't start until I was after 30 years old which I wouldn't recommend to people if you can get into the sport at a younger age. But, but I had some success and was able to kind of be the old guy at the senior international, not international, no, no, um, senior national meets as far as the American Open and the, and the national championships and stuff like that. I wasn't placing or anything like that, but I was good enough to qualify and still play with the young bucks. You know, they're walking up there with, you know, they're born in like 99 and I'm like, okay, I am 20 years older than you. This oh, is fun. Man. And but I've, sent was, you, I've sent you a couple of my videos to critique me and I'm kind yeah. of in like that beginning stage, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I'm coming up on 40 and I did my first snatch ever this year. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's there's, talk about there's, awkward. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. I'm so slow. Seen much worse, but I mean, it, it is a sport in which you can play and you can alter. And it's it's never too late to get into it. But if you think that you're going to start at like 40 years old and you're going to make a run for Tokyo in a year, I mean, <laughs> let's get realistic. But but yeah, and and so fell in love with it, and it really helped me from a coaching side of things, as far as how you address different weaknesses and how accessory movements and some of the different stuff. It just you know, it's like anything else. It just provided a different perspective. And to this day, it's, it's, I might try to step away from it for a little bit, but I always work some sort of weightlifting in regards to the snatch, clean and jerk into my training on a regular basis. That's awesome. I love it. I'm going to keep working on it. Okay. You just have to oh, keep critiquing my bad videos. Absolutely. Yeah. My pleasure. Absolutely. Like once you start, you're, you're not going to stop. <laughs> like your pleasure. Like you enjoy making fun of me. Is that what? Whoa. Grace, <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I feel, I'm kidding. I feel I'm like kidding. those words are taken out of context. I mean, <laughs> As far as making fun of is there's a big difference between types of encouragement. I, I'm just kidding, guys. Hunter's <laughs> the best. So can we talk about the performance syndicate? Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm repping. I'm I know you are. Today. And it, it looks amazing. And it's mm -hmm. you make the brand look good. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So, I mean, so there's a couple of things. So the logo is called an Inges. Um, and it was basically considered it's an old Germanic rune. And 
it was basically drawn for new beginnings for balance in life between physical, spiritual, emotional, but just kind of a fresh start at times. And so it really spoke in regards to what, what training to, to me meant and the performance syndicate I mentioned, as far as my day job is working with, with special forces. And one of the nice things about our roles is because we're contractors and we're kind of slotted and paid for our time to some extent. Now that goes above and beyond, you know, we're, we still are going to work over 40 hour work weeks and whatnot, just to cover down to make sure our guys are taken care of, but it allowed me and, and other individuals as well to basically do your own thing. And so I can kind of scratch that itch as far as have my own company have my own business and work with other people in other populations while still being very fortunate in regards to who I get to work with on a daily basis. Yeah, and we've had the opportunity to actually work together um, with a few different individuals. Um, and on top of that, you've also worked with my husband and I also yeah. do your training as well and train heroic. Um, so I enjoy, I enjoy that quite a bit. So, uh, and today what we're kind of looking at talking about is we're gonna get specifically into uh, what strength is, what it really means. Because I feel like, and we've had this conversation before, I kind of feel like sometimes people talk about strength um, or they're doing strength programs that aren't really strength programs. Um, yeah. And I, I, I just want to spend some time today kind of clearing up some misconceptions, really defining what it is, and then talking a little bit about maybe some of the most common things that you see people do that really can't be classified as strength, or maybe some of the mistakes that they make when they're getting into a strength program. Um, my yeah. philosophy, one of my personal philosophies for my clients and, and just with everything in general is you really need to be good at sort of self-management. You need to take some time to educate yourself a little bit. And this podcast is also about that. It's not just about, yeah. you know, having cool people on, although you are very cool. It's about no. practical application of knowledge. Yeah. And that's what I want to give folks. So I really want to get into that today. So if you could start us off by just really defining from your perspective, what strength really is. Yeah. And so I think, especially when it comes to the tactical population and it, and it can go just with any sport, any physicality at all, as far as if we're looking at strength, I think there's kind of four, four strengths types of strength that people need to consider on one side of the house you've got absolute strength and this is what people consider like maximal strength how much weight can i move whatever movement exercise that is and then on the other end you've got strength endurance and so now we're looking at something that's going to be submaximal, but still having this ability to move it repetitively over and over and over again and the other kind of two types of strength, as far as if we look at explosive strength or power, it still kind of falls on that strength continuum. And then we look at relative strength, like how strong are you, you know, especially in the tactical world, relative to your body weight? Do you, because you can be a large individual, if we look at, you know, say a shot putter, if we look outside the tactical world, that might have extremely high absolute strength their ability to, to push, to squat, to whatever that may be, might be extremely high. But on the flip side of it, they might not have good relative strength. In other words, are they able to do X amount of reps when it comes to a basic pulling movement, such as a pull-up, compared to somebody on the lighter side of the house? If you look at a gymnast, their true strength might not be extremely high when it comes to absolute strength. But their relative body weight strength is going to be Again, similar to the absolute strength off the charts. And so when you're kind of looking at all these things, strength kind of falls and they play off of each other. We know that if you've got a higher absolute strength that you can then have higher relative strength, it's, it strengths the underlying factor for everything, so to speak. And so it doesn't matter if, if you're a power athlete, it doesn't matter if you're an endurance athlete. That's why so many different sports and in jobs and other aspects of life use the weight room um, and I put the weight room in quotes because there's a ton of ways to build strength but that's why there's so many different ways and in, in jobs and in, in, in sports that use that weight room to build strength because strength's the underlying factor for everything so even if we were to look at an endurance runner 
we know that if they are stronger, they can be more efficient. They're going to have a longer stride. And because they've got a longer stride, now they've got less foot contacts and whatever distance they're covering. And, you know, things can kind of trickle down from there. Um, so when people are training for that strength, there's different ways that we can start to look and measure as far as what is lacking. Are they somebody that's, you know, when it comes down to their sport or their job, as far as what do we need to train them or prepare them for? And so then you can start to see what are the important strengths that that person or that job or that role, whatever's going on needs to have to be successful, whether that's in the job, whether that's for a selection train up or whatever it may be. And that can get very general and that can get very specific as well. Okay. And then you did cut out for a second. So hopefully my mic caught it anyway, <laughs> but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Okay, cool. Right. Adapt and overcome. Yeah. So, so if you didn't cover it already, kind of talk about, you know, when it comes to working in the tactical space, you know, whether it be as a special operations person or, 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 you know, just conventional forces of those four kind of strength categories, yep. like how do I know as a tactical athlete where I'm supposed to kind of focus my effort? Yeah, and so if we look at kind of traditional army training and then you look at kind of what's coming down the track with the new ACFT and how those are gonna be measured and how those are different. different. So if you look at traditional army, like the AF, APFT, excuse me, we're looking at muscular endurance from a both a push-up, a sit-up, and then an endurance aspect in regards to our conditioning. And so one of the biggest areas that we saw that was lacking when myself and, uh, and other coaches had gotten to, to first group was on the absolute strength side of the house and on the anaerobic side of, of conditioning. And why that is so important is basically if you are a stronger individual, like we talked about, you can be just more efficient at what you do. And the people that don't train that absolute strength will not have the same potential to then be able to create that same force. And then that can displace down into, so basically, so let's say somebody squats 400 pounds and we'll use the squat as an, and it could be any exercise. Just because somebody could say do 500 air squats does not mean that they could get, have the physical capability to perform that maximal force in regards to the squat and so it's it's the same thing when it comes to to distance running you know just because somebody can run a fast mile doesn't mean they could run a fast 400 or a fast 100 because we know just in regards to speed and power those are very finite things and so but those trickle down into that endurance side of the house and so when we were looking at athletes as far as they were they were lacking the strength the absolute strength that maximal strength plain and simple and so when you're looking at if you're an individual based off in the tactical realm, what's lacking, you have to kind of look at, are you being tested on that first and foremost? And that testing can be within your own training. And then you can kind of set different markers. Can you body weight squat weight? It doesn't matter if it's with a goblet, you know, and a kettlebell, a front squat, a back squat. Could you handle your own body weight in that? If you can't, then that is, that's going to be a big indicator that you don't have absolute strength. You might be able to do, be a little guy or a little girl and be able to go forever, but that doesn't mean that you have that absolute strength. And by increasing that absolute strength, it increases your endurance, um, so on and so forth. And, yeah. and I think, uh, I don't mean to cut you off, but no, you're not at all. as the ACFT rolls in, I know one of the things that we're seeing a lot is you know, these individuals who are maxing out the APFT or who were maxing out the APFT, they get to the ACFT and it's a rude awakening for them. Um, you know, you have uh, guys who were doing, you know, max push-ups on the APFT and then some who are, you know, struggling with the deadlift. You know, they run 12 minute, two miles, but you know, they can't really do the, the standing power throw or the sprint drag carry. They're, they're just sucking wind through the entire event. Yeah. And so, I mean, I think the ACFT is, is going to do a significantly better job. I th that rollout date, as far as when it's going to actually happen, continues to get pushed back for a number of reasons. Um, I mean, we could do a whole separate podcast on that, but yeah. it is... It, it's going, it's a better measurement in regards to holistically looking at what's going on. 
And even the numbers are not crazy high. So if you're looking at the deadlift as far as being maxed out at 340 mm-hmm. on a trap bar, that is not by any means anything that should be considered out of reach for, for most people. Mm-hmm. But you've got people that are unable to do the minimums. And if you look at why that matters is if you're in a position in which you need to pick somebody up and literally carry them out or whatever it may be, and you physically can't do that, that's an issue. Mm -hmm. And so when you start looking at some of those tests, it's going to bring a lot of things to light. And, but what they're seeing is it is bringing things to light and there, and people are like, you're saying really struggling with that. And it's, it should be, in my opinion, kind of a warning sign that, and again, this is my own personal opinion, but the, the army and the military should not be a social experiment. And it doesn't matter in my, if you're male or female or whatever it is, like you need to have a certain standard as far as be able to perform a specific task mm-hmm. based off your MOS or your job or whatever it is. And, and the standards are not high to be able to do that. And unfortunately it's bringing things to light and it needs to be addressed. The issue that, you know, we've seen in the past is you can do the APFT without any equipment. Mm -hmm. ACFT does require equipment. And that's one of the, you know, kind of hiccups with that is it's a little more complex in regards to its setup and how it's going to be administered, but it's going to bring to light that there's a lot of glaring weaknesses in regards to the overall well-roundedness as far as the, the physical abilities of soldiers. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And you're right, we could we could probably talk for hours about everything that kind of goes along with that. But let's kind of get into where strength training maybe fits in somebody's programming. So there, there's really two who are attempting to move into the tactical realm. Um, you have the individuals who are already working in the tactical space you know, who really need to be kind of always in that state of readiness. And then you have the um, pre uh, or the recruits, right, who are looking to move into that tactical space, possibly into special operations. And they're sort of working on that preparedness, right, because they're two different things. And correct me if I'm wrong. But so how do we know, like, for that group that's preparing to enter the tactical space, like, is it a situation where they're just constantly kind of training that strength? Um, we talk a lot about, you know, how do we periodize that? You know, do we focus on strength or hypertrophy or power and speed? Where does that fit into programming for somebody who's getting ready to enter the tactical space? So first and foremost, I mean, it, it, it's going to kind of come down to where their starting point is at. What is their training history before? And it's and the reason I say that is if if we look at kind of it doesn't matter if it's people in special operations or people out because everybody's going to have their strength and strengths and weaknesses and if you're somebody that is trying to figure out where do I begin what type of training do I need to begin with if there's a way to to do some sort of assessment and if that is the ACFT that is great because that's going to kind of point out some areas of weakness if, if not, there's, there's are some resources out there, including yourself, including me and others that can be reached out and contacted as far as like, man, this is where I'm at. This is where I'm trying to get to. What do I need to do? Where do I need to go? But point being, as far as like how much time and what you need to focus on, I mean, it's, there's kind of four levels that I've kind of talked about. Um, not to be crude, but there's shit, there's sucks and there's good and there's great. And the further down that spectrum you are, the less effort and less time you're going to have to put into it. So if you're somebody who's very weak, you will not have to focus everything you have on strength training because it's not going to take that much to respond to it. As you get further up that ladder towards that genetic potential, so to speak, you're going to have to spend more time and more effort to address that, to bring up your strength levels and whatnot. But you you kind of have to look at where you're starting to begin with. If you are not familiar with training or the weight room or anything at all, learning the mechanics and learning proper movement patterns first and foremost is going to bring up those strength levels immediately. Even if we're not even seeing any actual changes in the physical structure other than just the neuromuscular coordination. 
just by learning how to squat, learning how to hinge, learning how to push, learning how to pull these different things is going to make a big difference in somebody's ability to just, it's like learning a new skill, like a baby learning to walk. They might've had that strength for a month or two, but it takes a while for that coordination. And then, you know, off they go. It's the same thing when it comes to that training. And so when you're looking at what type of training they need to do, they're going to need to see probably a lot of repetitions. Now, depending on the movement patterns, if things are a little more complex, you're not going to want to do as high of repetitions per set. And the reason I say that is fatigue is going to come into play. As that fatigue comes into play, their positions, their postures, the mechanics are most likely going to start to break down a little bit. The weak links in those chains are going to expose themselves. And if they continue to try to push through things as they're learning a new skill in a fatigue state, in a tired state where they're not ex you know, exercising, not to play on the word, proper mechanics, then they're going to teach themselves bad habits. And so when they're looking, even if they're, you know, so even if we talk about a deadlift, they don't need to be doing sets of 10, 20 repetitions. But if they were to say do five to six sets of lower repetitions, then they're going to still get that same volume. So if we compare three sets of 10 to 10 sets of three, even if we did it at the exact same weight, but we kept it at sets of three to learn the movement patterns, first and foremost, they're gonna build that neuromuscular coordination. And so it literally comes down to as far as what is their training history. And that's going to be kind of up to if that individual is fortunate enough to have a coach. If they're not, then they, they're going to really need to be honest with themselves and check that ego at the door. If they're not familiar with a movement, then they need to start really basic. And it, it's tough when you go to the weight room, especially if you're going with your friends and everybody's trying to move as much weight as possible. But to really be able to consciously take a step back, why am I here? How can I then learn the movements first and foremost? Then everything else can kind of start to fall into place. So I would love to say that there's a black and white answer as far as this individual needs this hypertrophy or this strength or whatever it is. It, it, it's tough to do that, but very rarely, especially within people in the military and there's outliers for sure, have we seen people are, that are too strong. And so focusing on that strength training in general is usually a really good place to start. And what we're talking about is, again, those, those lower sets. Um, not to break it down too much, but again, those lower sets of three, five, sixes. You could take that up to eights and tens and stuff like that. And again, intensities or relative intensity, and that's kind of a separate conversation. But learn the movements first and foremost. And then those patterns establish themselves to start handling more weight, if, if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So it doesn't really matter kind of where you are, um, I guess, as far as an occupation goes, whether you're pre-military or in the military, it sounds yep. like you really have to kind of take uh, a little bit of a self-assessment. And um, I 100% agree with your statement that, you know, maybe uh, you need to get a coach right? I'm a big believer in that. I think all the best coaches have had their own coaches at one point in time. Um, even yep. as a dietitian, most of the time when I'm doing the best with my own nutrition, my own training is usually when I have a coach, um, yeah. not only for the accountability, but just for the programming as well. So I don't know if people would be surprised to learn that, that I, I don't typically do my own nutrition. Not that I can't, obviously, but no. I need somebody to yell at me every now and then. <laughs> but no, but it's, I completely get it. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, I've got the same thing for me. Like when I was trying to compete, you know, in weightlifting, it's like, I wanted to just be the athlete. Mm -hmm. And on the flip side of that, then I still wanted to learn and understand what's going on. But having somebody there, and we know through exponential yeah. amount of research that having that accountability, being part of a community, training with others, being in, I mean, so many different ways that having a coach benefits you is going to be huge. Yeah. And, and working out is always one of those things. And even within the military, it's one of those things that everybody thinks they know how to do. Mm -hmm. Dude, I know how to work out. I've been to the gym before. I know what I'm, know what I'm doing. But it's like, okay, well, if we're trying to generate a very specific training result, 
there's kind of a set of guidelines that we know X amount of work or X amount of movement patterns and this percentage, this relative intensity to whatever is going to generate that effect. And if somebody's job or in you know the situation that you know we're fortunate enough to work with, their life becomes part of their job in regards to their ability to function and, and serve others, you need to make sure that your training is worth your while or else you can be spinning your wheels and that's where you'll go to the gym and you'll see that, that guy or that girl that's been there every day for the last two years and they're doing the same thing that they were. Yeah. It's not that they're not working hard, but if they're not having some sort of incremental, incremental progression in regards to what they're doing as far as purpose and everything behind it, you can kind of be you know, lost in the dark. So you can, and hard work's gonna be great and there's no substitute for it, but then there needs to be a plan and a progression in regards to if you're going to focus on, on strength, those learning patterns and that early process of just moving is gonna only take you so far. Then we know that it's gonna take X amount of load to your ability to this to really get to that next step. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just like anything else. You need to know, you know if, if you're trying to go to a certain place, there's a roadmap that can get you there. Now that might have 10 different routes, but you still need to be on one of those routes. You can't just yeah. take off as hard as possible. And if you're working, you know, sprint, then it turns out you're going in the wrong direction. But I'm like, well, I'm working so hard. I'm in every day. I'm like, yeah, but what you're doing will not line up with your goal and your purpose. Yeah. And so unfortunately, you see Don't be that, random. Don't be inconsistent. That's what I hear. Don't be random. Yeah, I mean, be inconsistent. Yeah. Consistency's king. And especially within the military, you look at, you know, the thought of smoking themselves. And so many guys and girls... They want to break themselves off and they want to smoke themselves. Like I've got more in the tank. I can do more. Well, that's great. You just smoked yourself, but we need to train again tomorrow. And then we need to train again the day after that and the day after that and understand. And that was one of the big educational pieces because the guys that we're working with are grown men. They're not 18 to 22 year old kids mm -hmm. that some might care to train. Some might not. They're, at the end of the day, they're there to play their sport or whatever it is in college. We've got individuals that have been kind of taught to educate themselves that want to understand exactly why, and then they're going to question it. And so if you cannot explain, and I'll, t and I'll tell my guys or anybody that I'll ever work with, like, if I can't explain to you why we're doing what you're doing, then we absolutely shouldn't be doing it in the first place. And I remember, I know that I've sent you over a couple of training programs from some of my clients that they got from other coaches, and we had a conversation about, you know, there's really no rhyme or reason to it work for the sake of work. Yeah. Um, just, just exhausting somebody um, because you can, and that's really just not going to be effective. That I, I don't think that's something that builds mental resiliency or, or toughness. Um, just, just constantly yeah. smoking yourself to death, let alone physical. Um, no, and, and it's, and it's something unfortunate that you see a lot of the times some, sometimes they're cookie cutter programs or whatever it is, but a way to make up for, I guess, lack of, of good programming is we're going to give you a lot of volume. And if you survive it, you're going to be okay. And that thought of, again, smoking yourself as far as beating you up. And a lot of the times, especially with the, the army, they think more is better. Well, why would I run two miles when I can go run 10? Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Well, maybe if we pull off that volume a little bit and up, up that intensity, we're going to get you faster. We're going to get you stronger because again, it's kind of that same concept. You'll see people and not to hate on CrossFit. That's it. It's become its own thing, but you see people that are, that have thought you know, they do that type of training and they don't necessarily push that intensity. And they think, well, why would I go heavier in the deadlift? I'm never going to have to lift somebody who's heavier than 200 pounds. So I'll just do 200 pounds all the time. But if 200 pounds is 80 to 90% of your maximum and you've got the ability to deadlift 400 pounds, mm -hmm. but now you only have to lift two, you're operating at 50% of your capacity, then you can actually go on and function about everything else. And it's not going to take all you have to do that one movement. Right. So the thought as far as more is always better. And we've seen that in some of those programs where it's just, this is just work. Like some of these movements aren't even going to line up with anything that they're going to do where they're so push dominant, their shoulders are going to be trashed. And they, they don't make sense. And, that, and that's not hating on, on some of that stuff. But unfortunately, that's just the reality when you have people that are just like, well, this is what I did. And this is what the guy did before me. Mm -hmm. And that's great. But it's like, man, if we can get 
you know, more, you know, juice out of that fruit, so to speak, by that squeeze, like, then why wouldn't we do it? Why beat yourself up? I mean, if we just want to wear ourselves out or make you sore, like, I'll take you back behind our facility and beat the hell out of you with a wiffle ball bat. <laughs> you're going to be sore and you're going to be tired, but that's not going to necessarily do anything. Maybe you feel really good about that. Maybe that's what you're into. I don't know. I'm not going to judge, but point being like, there needs to be specific reasons why everything is in intensities, movements, and all of that stuff. And just being tired for tired sake is not necessarily the mark of a good programmer. or you're sore or you sweat or you smoked or whatever it is does not mean that there's going to be progress. And yeah. if you're just doing random stuff, then you need to expect random results. And when you're looking back to try to help others, you're like, well, why, why did that work? I don't know, but it worked. Okay, well, you know, maybe there needs to be a plan and there, it needs to be thought out. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think sometimes individuals who kind of work in the tactical community, sometimes they wear that almost as a badge of honor. Uh, you know, just being exhausted, sore, you know, yeah. doing crazy workouts. But that kind of leads us into kind of the next thing that I wanted to go into, right? So we talk about things that we see that aren't great. You know, what are some other common maybe mistakes? Yeah, so I think the, the consistency is the big one. You have people that go so hard in the paint, so to speak, that they're training once to twice a, twice a week. Or, you know, where they're getting their information of as far as the old muscle mags and stuff like that. You know, it's like, well, this, you know, I'm going to do my chest today and arms tomorrow and legs that day. And back. okay. But understanding that, hunter. well, you shouldn't feel attacked. <laughs> I wasn't signaling anybody. I was, I was just saying. Oh, I'm just kidding. Um, but no, as, as far as I think the biggest thing is just misinformation and the lack of understanding. And you know, we've, we've kind of talked about the work and more is better and people feeling like that if they don't do enough work or they're not tired, mm -hmm. that they're not going to respond to training. That's simply not true. As far as more is not necessarily better, that less and it is, is it's much more directed is going to be significantly better, especially if you look at the community in regards to different tactical populations that have very physical jobs. Like when I had men's basketball, I knew everything that they would be doing from to, from practice to lifting to all of that we've got guys it's like okay they're going to come in and train with us in the morning but then they could be on a range all day they could be going out and doing this you have to look at the stressors and so many other things and so that more is always better that we touched on it, it's a big thing mm -hmm. and so that's kind of first and foremost as far as if people most likely will pull back more and actually increase their intensity they're probably going to see some really good results with that and when you kind of look at like the spectrum in regards to what's what's heavy, what's not, what's fast, people have a tendency to kind of live like right in this middle section to where if you're not pushing yourself hard enough and that's not doing more work, but really challenging yourself, you're not going to elicit change. And on the flip side of that, if you're pushing your if if you're not down at the far end and, and doing things that you can recover from, all it's going to do is make you tired. And unfortunately, people within the military have a history. They live in this middle world. It's just enough to feel tired. That's why, like, I've been running two miles every single day. Awesome, man. How fast is your two-mile time? Hasn't changed. And well, you're, yeah, they're just wearing themselves out. Mm -hmm. They're not doing enough to elicit change. And so when you really look at what's going on, if people pulled back the volume of work that they did and went a little bit harder, so to speak, they're going to get stronger, they're going to get faster, and they're going to probably recover and whatnot better because volume at the end of the day, overall work that you do is going to elicit so much of that soreness. And that's what's probably going to probably beat you up more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the ability to stay durable in your career is super important. So if you're just throwing a shit ton of volume onto your body for yeah. 10, 12, 15, 20 years, I mean, you know, what kind of quality of life are you really going to have? Um, once you leave that space and, and how is it going to affect your ability to even stay in your chosen field? Uh, if you don't take care of your body, we see that a lot too. Absolutely. And I, I think the durability, the durability is probably the best marker. And it's something that we're fortunate enough where we're at at group. We've got a data scientist, a sport scientist, and we're looking at like, what does success look like within this population? Mm -hmm. Obviously when you're in the sports world, you can look at 
at wins, at losses, at true performances and all of that. But when you're looking at, at people over long careers and people that are in war, like what does success look like? How do we know if we're doing it? And I think durability is the way to go. And there is going to be times and a time and place as far as when people need to be able to build up and handle an enormous amount of work. If they're getting ready to go on a deployment, then yes, then we should probably prepare them to be able to work for hours a day. If they're going to a, a selection or a, a school in which they're going to be tested on their ability to work for hours a day, move over a lot of ground, handle a lot of loads and do that continuously, then you have to build and do that. But on the flip side of that, that needs to be thought out on. We can't just, if you just dump that on people and their body's not ready for it, we haven't adapted, we haven't built up to that, we haven't progressed and that's where you're going to see injuries. Or, you know, like you talked about, you see people that just try to do that year after year after year and they're just breaking themselves down. And, and so that's why from, like you mentioned earlier, self-management standpoint, learning that you don't have to go hard every day. You don't have to smoke yourself. And if there's actually a plan put in place, then it's, it's going to go a very long ways and improve, improving quality of life, probably job performance and strength as well. Individuals who work in the tactical space are, are getting a little bit smarter about things like training and nutrition, right? So you have people or coaches or, you know, companies kind of popping up and they're in support of those athletes that work in the tactical space. And then, of course, um, you have sort of the H2F program that's coming up mm -hmm. uh, through the military now and more than likely is going to spread in some shape or form to the other branches of the military. Um, so I think it's a good thing that all of this is happening, right? But it's still not going to be enough to kind of cover everybody. There's still a lot of people out there who just, you know, they're just doing things. They could be doing things better, right? Um, so I think it's important, you know, that people such as yourselves are kind of out there spreading the right information because there's a lot of people out there who are coaching, quote unquote, coaching, right? who really don't know what the hell they're doing and they're doing more damage than good. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and, it, and it's tough because at the end of the day, um, I am a civilian. I have not been through the schools, the selections that some people have. I don't have the history. I've never been in combat that so many people have. And I will never try to step into their shoes and tell them that. And the thing that's tough is then how do we then come off as, as in regards to a subject matter expert when it's like, even though I haven't been there, I've done as much as I can to try to physically understand that going out, rocking with the guys, spending time in that world to then like, okay, how do we take this knowledge and apply it to proper training? And when you get people and there's some educated guys and there's some really good coaches out there that were actual operators or they were in the military and whatnot themselves. There's also a lot of people out there that, you know, kind of push that like, well, this is what I did. And it's, can actually be along the lines of like, you actually survived what you did in spite of your training. Like, yeah. this is what you did. Like, I don't know how you got through this. Like mentally you're on another level, which is, and that's the biggest thing that people need to understand within this community. But man, it's like, just because that you did that and you got through it doesn't mean that it was the reason why you did. Yeah. And getting people to understand that that does not necessarily make them an expert in the training role. And that goes back to like, everybody thinks they know how to work out and train mm -hmm. where it's like, man, no, like you made yourself tired. You mentally and physically like made up your mind that you were going to get through it, but it might not have been due to your training. That mm -hmm. could have been actually detrimental to you. And so trying to just educate and get good information out there is it's a reason why I know you do what you do. I know it's, it's why I started the performance syndicate is because at the end, of, I just wanted it to create a resource at the end of the day. Like if somebody's going to go to my site or my social media site or whatever it is, if they can walk away like, oh, okay, I learned something, then that's all I want as far as, because there is unfortunately a lot of, in the information age that we've got, there's a lot of garbage out there. And there's a lot of really good coaches and there's some really smart people out there that can help people get through, prepare, train for their jobs, courses, or whatever that may be. Poor coaching. That's definitely one thing we want to be careful of. 
Um, so kind of what I want to move into now is you and I, we're actually going to be doing some work together here in the near future. Yeah. And uh, the way that this came about, I actually approached you because I've been getting just a ton, a ton, a ton of questions about specifically about strength training, right? Um, how to eat for strength, um, you know, and I reached out to you because I think that uh, in an effort to kind of put good information out there, I think it'd be really great to have the opportunity for people to come and learn about how to strength train properly and how to sort of periodize or, or plan your nutrition around a strength training program. So you and I are going to be kicking that off in March. Yep. Um, and just, you know, what are some topics that you feel like you're going to be able to hit on kind of during that time? So we talked about the different types of strength as far as the muscular endurance, as far as the strength endurance, the absolute strength and the relative strength. From there, we'll kind of get into how can people kind of recognize what they're they're going to be lacking um, as far as kind of just some basic tests and things to consider for themselves. And then how do they then go about building kind of their weakness? Because if we're looking at what's going on, what we want to do is we kind of want to bring up our limiting factor. So that's not a limiter anymore. And what that's going to then do is help everything else. And, and so kind of one learning to kind of self-identify in regards to what are these areas of strength that they need to improve upon first and foremost. Are you there? We're kind of frozen again. Yeah, your face is frozen, but I can hear you. Okay, perfect. Um, I just want to make sure. Um, but yeah, and then from there, then how do you kind of put together, start to formulate a well-rounded strength program? So if you're somebody that needs to build relative strength, what does that look like? If absolute strength or maximum strength is lacking, what does that look like? muscular endurance because you can actually you can train all three at the same time and if you're doing that you know we need you need to understand that we can't put all our eggs in one basket we need to have at least some sort of focus and then the other two could uh, assist and so you can work multiple things physical characteristics as far as develop them at the same time especially if we go back to that scale especially if you're on like that again not to be crude that shit to sucks you're going to respond to anything. And that's really cool because you can do a lot of different things and it's going to bring everything up. And so, but we'll get into here, are the types of strengths, how to identify what you need, how to then start to build that yourself in regards to that strength program to then better understand, you know, kind of your needs. Yeah, I think that's good. And <laughs> I love the scale that you use. Uh, and really what it is, is just the more potential you have, the more change you should expect to see for sure. Like, man, especially when you get towards that good to great, as far as the focus and the dial in. And it's like, if you really want to take somebody, especially within the military population, and they want to go from good to great, they're going to have to contact somebody like you and get their nutrition in line because they're not going to be able to do what they've just always done. They're going to have to start doing those other things that can make a really big difference to separate themselves or else I think so many of us in different skills, you, we, we don't become great at everything. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it just takes more focus, more effort and all that different stuff. So yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of that scale when it comes to communicating with athletes and everything else, just getting them to understand like, this is where you're at. This is why you're responding. But if you want to go to this, we got to, you know, put a little more effort into that area. We're not going to get into the nutrition today that, cause that could be a whole nother hour long oh, discussion, yeah. but that will definitely be part of, you know, what we're going to be doing. So for anybody who's interested in doing that, I'm definitely going to make sure that the links are in the show notes. And then of course you can go to my Instagram um, and then a Hunter, I'm sure you'll have some way to push that out too, but absolutely. All right. So last thing I asked this of, of, of everybody that comes onto the podcast for someone who is maybe up and coming um, and is looking to sort of work in the same space that you're working in. What is some advice that you would give to an up and coming coach? Reach out first and foremost. And the reason I say that, and that and it doesn't have to be to me, it's one of the cool things about if somebody's looking to get into strength and conditioning, whether it's in the collegiate setting, the tactical setting, whatever it may be, if they're genuinely interested, reach out to those individuals, because at the end of the day, we, so many of us, we got into coaching to help people. And it's, it's a community in which we want to help others and we want to help others succeed. And so if you take the time to reach out, 
very rarely. And I know people that are considered some of the best coaches in the country in all their different, different realms. And most of which will respond to every email you ever send. The point being reach out first and foremost, but once you've made contact, you need to start to build work experience. And what that looks like is the more the different populations that you can work with, the better off you're going to be. And so even if you're just looking at getting into the tactical space, spending time in anything in the sports realm, spending any time personal training, even if it's at Globo Gym or LA Fitness or whatever it is, because then you're going to start just exposing yourselves to so many different things that you're going to see. With our guys, we've got people that are going to be 23, 24 years old and guys that are 50 years old still trying to hold on to team time or whatever that may be. And obviously they're living completely different lifestyles. And so the more exposure you can get to different populations, it's just going to broaden your base in regards to what you see. But don't be afraid in regards to whatever work experience you can, because that's going to be something I know when we have jobs that open up, we're looking to see like what's their background. And it doesn't necessarily have to be tactical. It doesn't have to be like major division one college. But if we see like this person is putting in effort to educate themselves, to put themselves in the situations compared to just trying to, you know, fill out certificate. Like if you've got alphabet soup behind your name and every certification under the sun, but you don't have any work experience, nine times out of 10, most coaches I know are going to pass on that because what you, that work experience is so invaluable in regards to trying to make up for just what you can learn from a book. You still have to have that book knowledge. You still have to understand exactly what you're doing and why you're doing and all that, but just, you got to start working with people. So, you know, that, that's the biggest piece of advice. And no matter where you're at, if you're around some sort of military base or a post, if you're around a, a big school, a small school, high school, whatever it is, start working with people because that's going to then just build your exposure. It builds your experience and everything can trickle down from there. Yeah, I got to get your hands dirty for sure. All right. I had so much fun. We'll talk soon. And uh, thanks for coming today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Susan. All right. Have a good one. All right, guys. That is it. Hunter is a great guy. Make sure you check him out at the Performance Syndicate on IG or performancesyndicate.com. And don't forget to take a peek at the show notes and set yourself up for our four-week coaching program starting March 8th. You want this. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you share it and tag us at tactical.dietitian. Until next time, hooligans.